Welcome to the Sales Compensation Show, where we share the latest sales performance research, insights, and solutions through in-depth discussions with industry experts. So put that spreadsheet away, grab a beverage, and enjoy the conversation. I'm your host, Justin Lane. It is my pleasure and honor to welcome to the show today, Mark Donwell. I've known Mark for a number of years now. I most actively engage with him at a variety of different conferences in the space, but I'm always excited when he comes out with a new book, when his company comes out with new research surveys in the space, because I know it's going to be thought-provoking and I know it's going to be of great quality. He also hosts a podcast that I want to give a plug for called the Rethink Sales Podcast. And so I highly encourage listeners to go check that out. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks, Justin. Glad to be here. Mark, for the folks who aren't familiar with you, could you share a little bit about your background and what you're up to today? Sure, sure. Going back a a little bit, I kind of come from a non-traditional background. If you think about something like sales effectiveness, sales compensation, I'm what you might call an art school MBA. So I started out in art school years ago in Philadelphia back in the 80s. And then I was a designer in New York in the 80s doing museum and exhibition design and corporate identity and branding. And then somewhere along the way, I figured out I wanted to go to business school. I think it was because I had some roommates that were going to business school at the time and helped one of them move to a uh, school that uh, will remain unnamed because it later became a rival. <laughs> but, but I thought, you know, I want to do this. It's really interesting, this whole business thing. And so I went to business school. And then when I came out, I had to take the whole design thing and kind of, you know, put it aside, put it to the, in the closet because nobody wanted to hire the art guy, no serious, you know, company. And so what I discovered years later was that there was a place where the right brain creative principles and the left brain analytics, they came together in terms of problem solving. And that place for me was really around sales effectiveness and sales compensation. So, you know, I, I got into sales compensation kind of unintentionally because I started working with a firm out of business school that did marketing and sales consulting. And I thought that sounds like what I do because I was in an advertising agency and design firm before that. And we're doing this thing called sales compensation. That was most of the work we did. And I'm like, what what is this thing? And so not many people really know about it. It's not like Billy says, I want to be a a policeman. And Bobby says, I want to be a fireman. And and I go, I want to be a sales compensation designer, right? It does, at least it doesn't happen yet. But uh, I I came into it like a lot of people learning about it through other means. So I realized how critical and how important sales compensation is to the business world. And it's become, you know, a core of what I do. Talk to me about your current firm, Sales Globe. How do you folks help out your clients? And and what's the, the span of how you can help? Well, Sales Globe is is a, a revenue growth consulting firm. At our core, what we are is we're we're problem solvers around sales issues, around sales effectiveness issues, and uh, very often those are things that have to do with go to market, uh, sales organization design, sales process, and and of course sales compensation and consulting. So we are focused on not just the benchmarks and the best practices, but we're focused on how do you use that information to then begin the job, the real job of problem solving and figuring out how we're going to develop a unique right solution for the business that we're in and how it's going to give us a competitive advantage. So you have a book about the idea of what a CEO needs to know about sales compensation. 
And I think I've heard you talk a number of times about connecting strategy to sales compensation, corner office to frontline. Balance this out against the idea that as I talk to a lot of companies, we have sales comp planning, we have sales comp execution, and these two things maybe sit in different business functions at different levels in the hierarchy. How should people reconcile this idea that it applies from the front line to the corner office and then it sits in all these different places within the organization? Is there a way to streamline it, make sense of it? Well, I think at its essence, what we're trying to do with the sales compensation program is we're trying to get a message across to the sales organization. You know, at its essence, the sales compensation program is, is a communications tool, right? So we want to say something to the sales organization. We want them to do something. And it would, it'd be a whole lot easier just to pay everybody base salary and not go through all the machinations of how to design and, and manage sales compensation. But we do it because we're trying to get a message across. And that message is hopefully around the goals and objectives and the strategy of the business, or it could be the business unit or the team that that, that salesperson is, is working for. So when I look at kind of simplifying what we're trying to accomplish, sales compensation is not about trying to make sure people earn money or trying to make sure that we're you know, doing certain you know, detailed things in the organization. Sales compensation is trying to make sure that we're connecting the strategy to the salesperson. So the part of the strategy that they can control, they are motivated to do that. So we want to connect strategy. And we also want to make sure that it's going to be something that's going to be motivational and exciting and, and it's going to drive behavior. So when I wrote the book, Justin, I I actually wasn't interested in writing a sales compensation book because I thought, you know, there, there's several sales compensation books out there and there's some pretty good ones. But what I realized was missing was a couple things. One was there wasn't anything that really talked about how to make that strategic connection, hence the title of what your CEO needs to know. It's kind of tongue in cheek, right? It's really what you need to know about sales compensation or anybody needs to know. But we weren't, a lot of companies weren't making that connection to the strategy. Um, the other was as sales compensation books go, they're kind of boring, right? <laughs> so, so you get into like, 40 different sales compensation plan examples, or here's how the mechanics work, whatever. And what's the first thing an executive does with that book? They give it to their analyst, right? You know, here, here you read this. I'm not going to read a bunch of commission tables and stuff. So we needed something that actually talked to leaders, uh, leaders who are heads of sales operations, who are heads of compensation, who are heads of HR, who are heads of companies like presidents and CEOs. So we wanted to make something that was going to be accessible and, and talk to those leaders not just through a bunch of numbers and tables, but through methodology and models that help you with how to think about sales compensation and how to solve the problem, not just like, here's how a commission rate works. And one of the other things we did with the book was we wrote some interesting stories to kind of tie it all together because stories are kind of at the core of our primal wiring, right? If I can tell a story about something, I can get that message across. So hopefully we created a book that actually helps people connect to that topic on a little bit more of a human level than just a technical level. Yeah. Gosh, so many uh, thoughts coming out of that. <laughs> First one, right? I think just recently I had a conversation with some finance folks uh -huh. thinking about the idea of the ROI of sales comp. I want to take it one step back to the consulting world. When people ask you, like, what's the, the ROI of, of improving 
the sales compensation design. So again, this idea of a better story uh, for the reps, as you describe it, right? Connecting the, the corporate strategy to the rep. What can that do for a company in terms of economic benefit? Well, yeah, ROI, I think that's an easy one to jump onto and say, well, you're going to get this kind of revenue growth improvement based on your sales expense or sales compensation expense or whatever that may be. In the problem solving vein, what I what I try to do is I try to break that apart and say, okay, ROI, what is R? Well, R depends on what you want, right? We we can say R is sales growth or revenue, new revenue or whatever it might be. You could say R is we want uh, to increase our employee retention because we have high turnover. You could say R is we want to be able to increase our growth of new strategic products, right? So the first thing that you have to do as an organization is define what is the return. And I think the typical one is uh, how much revenue are we getting for the expense and I would be the expense typically that, that you're spending on the sales compensation plan. So how much revenue are we getting for the expense? But I, I'm always, before I before I chase something down like that and say, well, here's what it should be or here's how you should think about it, I think you have to answer the, those, those kind of questions, uh, first of all. Uh, I think the other tricky thing about sales compensation is when you talk about ROI, sales compensation is actually part of a bigger model, right? We think about a model we use called revenue roadmap, but basically the idea is that you've got a sales strategy layer, you've got a sales coverage layer, you've got a sales enablement layer where sales compensation sits. It's hard to argue that the sales compensation plan alone drives the return on the investment or drives that revenue uh, by itself, right? Because there's so many other things that come into play. How is our coverage model working? What's changing with our sales process, et cetera? So it's a tricky one to try to tie that in. I think that's one of the hard things about sales compensation is that works in concert with so many other pieces. I've used the analogy in the past of uh, it's a Formula One racing program. Sales comp is the racing fuel. Uh, you can't win without it, but you got to have everything else. You got to have a good pit crew, good tires, great engine, uh, you know, to good driver to win, but I think yeah, but yeah, and I think that's I think that's a challenge for organizations because when you talk about the team or the group that designs sales compensation or the team that manages sales compensation, they're one member of a much bigger team. So when they think about what they do as being the most important thing or the one thing, it, well, it's not. It's actually fits together with so many different parts, and I think that's one of the things. You know, we all have to remember because we get so myopically focused on what we do within our own areas, particularly in a big organization. Earlier, you you touched on the idea briefly of what's within a, a seller's control or, or prominence, right? What can they influence on the sale? And that's kind of how we we want to pay them. What's a good way for, for people to think about that idea? How can they better understand what a rep can control and hence design a good you know, metric or measure around that versus things outside of their control. Right, right. You know, rather than looking at what the measures are that we've used in the past or maybe what competitors are doing, going back to that idea of connecting it to the strategy, I like to use a tool that we have called C-level goals. It's just a really simple idea of there are five major things that you need to identify in order to have it flow into how the sales organization work and how the work should work and how the sales compensation plan should work. And those those five areas are, what are we doing 
or what do we want to do over the next year or, or two from a customer standpoint? So certain segments, new customer, current customer, retention, penetration uh, could be buyer level. So what matters from a customer standpoint? What matters from a uh, offer or a product standpoint? Are there certain things that we want to promote more than others? Are there new offers coming out? Are there offers that we need to hold on to? What should the uh, what we should be thinking about from a coverage standpoint in terms of how the organization works, roles, that type of thing, and what we want those roles to do, and then from a talent standpoint, what do we want to do in terms of attracting and retaining the right talent, and finally financially, what do we want to accomplish in terms of revenue, profitability, uh, productivity, anything that might be linked financially, and so you know our experience, Justin, is that, that if you can answer those five questions really clearly and we call them c-level goals but they're really when we say c-level it's for anybody that's running a piece of the business so the head of sales the ceo uh it could be the head of certain markets or regions what's important if you can take that and then translate that down and say then okay well what matters then for what the sales person should be doing or each of these sales roles because sales roles are we have different roles and then you get to that question of and the pivotal question for me is out of those C-level goals that are within the purview of this particular account manager role or this account executive role, what can that person actually influence or control? And, and so that's when you get down to that question. And that's both an eligibility question. Should they be on incentive compensation or sales compensation in the first place? But then it's also a question of what should be the most important measures that are in the plan? Yeah. I like the methodology. I like the approach of work through the problem, you know, versus just taking a, a gut feel type of thing. Now, I asked the question because as you said that, I thought about something I recently heard from someone that they were, you know, as part of their design initiative in-house, they were going to listen to some sales calls, you know, do the, uh, what I'll call a virtual ride-along. Uh, to try to see like what are the reps, you know, what are they up against, what are they facing, because they were new to the company and had they didn't really have a good idea of what the you know what the the sales folks did at their their organization. Yeah, yeah, and I, that's one of the most valuable things I think you can do is is get out there with the sales team. I, you know, we were uh, teaching a, a class with some some people across a group of different companies uh, a few weeks ago, and we got to this question of the importance of the job description, the importance of the job profile. And, you know, the job profile really is the foundation for the, the incentive compensation playing is that's what's gonna, it's gonna tell you what the job does. And I was like, well, no, not necessarily. What's gonna tell you what the job does is you getting out there and riding along and understanding what they do. And you're gonna become a, you know better informed about that. And in fact, your same job titles across the organization may be doing different things depending on the market. So yeah, to your point, you got to get out there and you got to actually be with them and see what's happening. Before we jump on the call, we were chatting a little bit about this idea of a body of knowledge around sales compensation. And your comment there just made me think about kind of this conventional wisdom of you know trying to get to a singular plan for a singular sales job or, or sales role, is this still applicable today or is there more individualization needed to be able to, like you mentioned, recruit, motivate, and retain the individual seller versus somebody that has a title or a role? Well, I think I wouldn't go to individualization. I, I guess what I would say is that we've got to be aware of what the differences are going to be or going to be in those jobs 
by specific markets or specific situations. So the philosophy I usually use is, you know, from a, an effectiveness and efficiency standpoint, I mean, the optimal thing we could do is have one compensation plan for the entire world for a particular job, right? We know that's not practical. Uh, but I've worked with companies recently where they say, well, you know, we want to be the one Acme, you know, plug in whatever name you want. We want to be the one Acme, right? And we want the same thing happening across the organization. And then each of the regions will argue about why they have a unique situation, why we have to have a different type of compensation plan for our region, et cetera, et cetera. So we start with the assumption of consistency. And then what we do is we argue ourselves away from that on a business case basis, right? Which tends to work really well because you say, okay, what's your case for why this should be different? And then we want to then start to say, well, what, what is a valid case? Well, we have differences in our customer base or our market growth rate is different, or you know, perhaps we've got a different generation of people that we're recruiting in this particular market, right? That that could be business case. You have to decide what that is for yourself. I think there's I think it's treacherous to go to like highly individualized incentive programs because number one, you're going to lose massive amounts of, of efficiency and effectiveness in the program because of so much variation. Number two, I think it introduces a lot of randomness in terms of what really is the best design, because that design then is starting to be determined by the preferences of certain people or jobs or, or markets, right? So I guess I'm still a proponent of where we can have consistency, that's going to be better, and where we can have simplicity, that's going to be better. And, you know, there's this old adage, uh, Justin, about, you know, what should you pay for for versus what should you manage to? I would argue that we could probably get to a level of we can identify something simpler that we can pay for, and then we can be more specific in our management techniques because there is a role for these people called sales managers, right? They have to do something, which is it's not a remote control device in the, in the incentive compensation plan. Let's let's talk about that a little bit. So this is something that I've been engaged in a number of conversations over the past, I'll call it year. And it's one of those things where, you know, somebody mentioned, oh, it's a it's a pendulum, right? This concept or idea comes up every couple of years and then it kind of dies on the vine type of thing. But the idea of paying people uh, for inputs into the selling process versus just paying people for the outputs or the performance you know, of close one business. Any thoughts or philosophy on on if, you know, on one side of the equation, we have a plan designed around just pure activities. On the other side, it's just pure X revenue up against X commission rate. Is there is there a middle ground or do we have to pick one side or the other of this equation? Yeah, I think that um, we have all sorts of rules and guidelines and things in sales compensation. And I think I think those are good and I think those are helpful, but I think they can also hinder us over time because the reality is the world is changing and the markets are changing. And one of the best things you can do, I think, in sales compensation is know the rules and then break them, right? And that's actually a healthy thing. So uh, we have done a number of programs where we have paid on inputs, but you have to bring it back to the question of, why would you pay on an input versus a result? I mean, the the, the classic situation, or the classic rule really is you you pay for results and, and you manage to the activities. And, and if you're in a highly transactional process, that might make sense. I was talking with a company the other night, global professional services company, 
And they said, one of the challenges we're having is that we have these mega deals that we're trying to close uh, and even some of the mid-sized deals. And these things are in, you know, $50 million and above in size. So they're monster deals. And what's happening is that our people, they will find the opportunity and then they'll, they'll have a challenge qualifying it. But, but the big challenge is that they try to jump too quickly to getting to that proposal and trying to win the, win the opportunity. And it turns out that they don't really go through the process of solving the problem for the customer and they end up giving them the wrong type of proposal or they end up mispricing it or something like that because they are so motivated to get to the win, right? So we're paying on results in that situation. That kind of situation is one in which you could say there are certain milestones along the way that are important for us in terms of a process that we want people to do those things and then that's going to actually give us a better result at the end. So long-term deals, complex deals, especially that can that can come into play. And so if you're, you know, hypothetically looking at a uh, over a year-long sales process, could be a year and a half or two-year sales process, you want the person to be motivated and rewarded. Well, you could say, I'm going to pay them all base salary, or you could say part of their incentive is going to be doing the things that are going to carry that deal along correctly. And it may be certain prototype levels, it may be certain letters of interest, it may be certain commitments from the client, but usually what it is, they are customer-recognized uh, milestones that cannot be just kind of fabricated by the sales team. So I, I see that, you know, there is a place where you can use those and it can actually be more effective than the final result alone. So that doesn't say that in that plan, you wouldn't pay for the final result, but, you know, you're actually paying for um, activities along the way. Yeah. So I was at a conference recently speaking, I was describing kind of my journey over the last 20 years, thinking about sales compensation. And I said, 20 years ago, to me, it was a math problem to solve, right? I was thinking about rates and total targets and, you know, trying to design something that was a math model, right? Trying to solve it. I think over the, you know, ensuing decades, as I got more interested in behavioral economics and reading about how people make decisions and just talking to more people, you know, I realized, hey, at the end of every sales compensation plan, there's a person, right? And so how do you bring in this, uh, humanistic side to it, and then more recently, and I won't I won't pick on you know the company that kind of triggered my thought around this was the idea that you have to think about the prospect or customer or client as well, and what you just described to me is this I idea for me of what kind of buying experience uh, you know are you providing through the story you're telling the reps of a compensation plan that you're trying to deliver. And the idea if it's too aggressive or, you know, they're only paying them on outputs, they're going to deliver a very different experience, you know, for this $50 million deal than they would if you're, you know, providing cash flow on some things that are happening over the course of a, a natural buying cycle for that, that engagement. So as you described, I don't know if that resonates with you at all. Have you thought about comp? Has, have you thought about comp changed in the last, since you started doing it? Yeah, I think a few things have changed. You know, we were talking earlier, Justin, and I think one thing that changes naturally for someone like you or someone like me is just our experience in the market, right? So we do start off, like most people, I think a little bit more fundamentally. It's about what are the best practices on sales compensation and how do you set a pay mix and how do you do the calculations? And it you almost approach it from a mechanical standpoint. You know, think about it like, 
golf, right? Okay, here's how you hold the club. Here's how your grip works, the backswing, keep your head down, all this kind of stuff. So you're all about the mechanics in the beginning. And then as the years pass by, what you start to do is you put those mechanics into your muscle memory, right? So we know how to do these things. And you start to move move uh, to a higher order, which is how do I actually think about people, like you said, and behaviors? You know, for me, the big one is how do I think about solving the right problem, not just using the benchmarks of the best practices? And so then pan out a little bit broader view uh, from, you know, individuals like us. I think in the world of sales compensation over the past 10 years, 20 years, I'd say, yes, things have evolved. I think technology certainly has had massive evolution in terms of the, the technology and systems around sales compensation. I think that the business world and the sales world has evolved. And we we're looking at just even the past few years, how we've gone from heavy field sales organizations to now we have you know a lot of remote and hybrid but we also have this thing called omni-channel, right? So customers want to buy across multiple channels seamlessly. We want salespeople to be able to work across those channels to provide the right customer experience seamlessly. Uh, so we have a number of things that have changed. There's so many things that have changed in terms of the, the business and the sales world and the sales motion. My personal opinion is sales compensation has not evolved to that same degree, to that same speed. And, and and my frustration is that when I go to the conferences, when I talk to clients, when I hear, you know, consultants speak, it sounds like I'm hearing the same things I heard 10 years ago. And, and I'm like, well, okay, where are the new ideas? Where's the new thinking? You know, I've, I've seen all these charts over and over again in different iterations. And so I think collectively what we need to do when you talk about body of knowledge is we need to say, okay, these are all of the accepted principles or best practices. That's fine. Now, as a larger group, as a larger business community, we need to start to move to the level of how do we start to use this in our thinking to become better problem solvers? That's a lot harder to do because that involves creative thinking. It's, again, switching from kind of that left brain analytical to the right brain. Okay, like I said before, return on investment, what is return, right? We have to ask these questions. Omni-channel, we want the right customer experience. Well, what is customer experience and how does sales compensation relate to that? So, you know, there's not a one clear answer for that, but we have to think of ourselves as problem solvers. And here's the biggest reason why, and this is sales compensation. And it's, I think it's across other disciplines as well. When you look at sales comp as an example, and your uh, incentive, um, compensation management systems and performance management systems, we've been able to automate so much in incentive compensation, right? You could say that at some point, Justin, we'll be able to automate even how to design a sales compensation plan. Enter your problem here, your parameters, and it's going to give you the answer, right? We could get there. The one thing that can't be automated or AI'd or offshored, though, is our ability to creatively solve problems. So that is one of the most important reasons that we as a community need to become better creative problem solvers using the tools, that body of knowledge that we've developed over the years. So I think that's just a, it's a, a much bigger leap to take, but that's just kind of the, the feeling I have as I, as I look at how things have, have evolved over the years and where we are right now. Yeah. No, I'll be interested to see like even this idea of AI, right? The science fiction fan of me says, oh, it's going to get there, right? I think the pragmatic reality that I live in day to day, I'm like, the idea of corporate context the sales culture, you know, some of these things, these human ideas, I think are going to be difficult to bridge from this idea of data 
and best practices and trying to connect those two things. Like that's where the, I think the the person will still have a role for some time to come. Yeah. How do you, how do you enter corporate culture into a computer? I don't know. I don't know. Somebody's probably working on the problem right now. I'm sure you have 26 variations of corporate cultures. So you could pick one of those, I suppose. But yeah, but you're right. There's these these things that you can't you can't know unless you get out there. We talked about the job descriptions earlier and the ride-alongs. And, and one of our people, actually, a couple of people um, are in one market uh, this week in Denver doing ride-alongs with one of our clients. I asked him how it was going, and this one guy has been working a lot remote and hybrid, and he's used to be on the road all the time, and he's he's totally dedicated to remote and hybrid now in in his mind. And he said, you know, Mark, it makes a huge difference to be riding along with these reps in the truck, visiting customers. He said, you learn so much that you can't learn just on a Zoom call. And I'm like, bingo. Yeah, we're humans. I mean, you can't you can't just enter some value into a computer. That's part of the problem-solving equation. Yeah. So I'm going to tee something up, and it's going to take a second. But something I've been thinking about recently, and it came out of the World at Work conference in August, where there was a a panel at the end and somebody from the audience asked about, you know, were they, had they been hearing about it? How are they applying the idea of DEI into sales compensation? And it made me think about this, you know, concept of, you know, an equal earning opportunity, not equity, but an equal earning opportunity and a multi-generational sales force where this concept of fairness seems to be becoming more important as we get more generations down the road balanced out against the idea, right, of what I've seen over the years and and from doing data analysis of everything from the Pareto principle of 20% of the sellers are generating 8% of the revenue. And I'd even go so far as, you know, a different statistic of 10% of the sellers are probably bringing in approximately 50% of the revenue. Like there's, there is differentiated performance in sales. I think you might've been the first person I ever heard use the term reverse Robinhood principle. Right. Yeah. Robbing from the poor and giving to the rich. I think we coined that one in the book. Yeah. Yeah. And so how do so how do people think about again balancing out these ideas of, you know, we have, you know, inertia or you know, people trying to care about equality and equity around pay. At the same time, the reality of not everybody can perform at the same level within any job. Sales is just more, you know, I think transparent because we have the data of what they're producing. How do people reconcile this idea or is it possible? Well, I think the beautiful thing about sales is that let's talk about equity. First of all, give me a territory that has enough potential and is comparable to the territories that the rest of the reps have in my organization. Give me the products to sell that are comparable and give me a level playing field. Your DE&I comes after that, which is you go out and perform. We, we don't need to equalize the playing field beyond that because it's then up to your talents and your capabilities, right? So I think when we start to bring D&I into sales compensation, I think we start to, I think we start to, to dilute it down about what it really is. Sales compensation is about performance. And I've seen people from every background do really well in sales because of who they are as individuals, right? It's, it's about them and it's about their connection to the customer. So uh, that's the purity of sales, I think, which is it is a pure performance situation. Now, if you said, well, my territory is not large enough, I don't, it's, it doesn't have enough potential. Okay, those are fair arguments. That's, that would not be a fair situation. But, you know, all things remaining constant in that area, 
I think the beauty is that it's really up to the individual and it's one of the last pure, you know, I think performance places that, that we have. Uh, by the way, we just did a podcast on the Rethink Sales podcast on pay transparency. And how does that relate to performance? Now that's going to be for jobs that go beyond sales as well, but, you know, some ideas there that it's not just about everybody has to be leveled out or equaled out in terms of being in a pay band, but it creates visibility and it creates then the conversation about, well, if you want to be at the midpoint or the high end of that pay band, here's what you need to do to do that. Because it could be that, you know, pay uh, transparency starts to convert general employee pay to something that's more performance related, because now we can talk about performance and how you can move up in the band and it's no longer, you know, hidden in, in the background. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. Pay transparency is something I'm very interested in and, and near and dear to my heart because it was such a foreign concept to me growing up. I was raised by my grandparents for a large part of my upbringing. And uh, the idea of asking my grandfather how much he made for work was, never would have crossed my mind uh, type of thing. Where now I think people are pretty, you know, again, multi-generation, people are pretty open and, and transparent about the idea, you know, amongst from peers, what they're making. And so how do companies, you know, and, and then respond to how transparent should they be, you know, from the company to the employee relationship. But so we'll have to check out the podcast. Don't give away the secrets. Oh, no, no. Yeah. But I, but I think uh, you got a great point about the generational thing, because I, I came from, you know, a similar generation where you just didn't talk about those things. And, you know, I think pay transparency laws are not saying you have to tell everybody what people are making. You just have to say, here's what this job pays in the market, right? Here's the price of this job. Okay, great. And then you get to another level of, okay, what does an individual make? I think that's a different conversation. Yeah. Or one last topic, two questions I'd like to ask everybody that appears on the show. Last topic, uh, Sales Globe recently released a survey on uh, sales compensation. And we'll have to add in some links for people to go check it out uh, to the uh, episode. But there's a ton of interesting findings. Like every slide as I forwarded through the PDF, I'm like, oh, there's a gem. There's a diamond. You know, I went through a whole range of emotions as I read the results. And I got to one page where it talked about, you know, the, a high percentage of companies still have a cap in their compensation plan. And, you know, surprisingly high. And I'm like, what is leading people to continue down this path of something that I, well, I don't know. I'll ask first, what's your thought on caps? But two, uh, you know, something I would not consider best practice personally. Why so many? Why are so many companies still doing it? Well, I think one is there's a cultural component, right? And so there are there, there's one question that you can ask an executive in the org, in an organization to kind of get a beat on that culture, and, and that question is. Would it be okay if your top performing rep in a given year made more than the president of the company in terms of cash, right? And you get an immediate visceral reaction like, oh, yeah, that would be awesome. We would love that, right? The hero story, all that kind of thing. Or, oh, that wouldn't be quite appropriate, you know? And so you kind of get, so one thing is you get this cultural thing about how much somebody should be able to earn. The other one I think is financial. Okay, we need to make sure we're protected so we don't blow out the compensation plan if somebody really performs at a high level. We are not proponents of caps. We think, you know, caps don't need to be in the plan. There are other devices, other ways you can you can certainly do that. I think the danger point on caps, Justin, is, is they're largely psychological, right? Yeah. So I, I think everything comes back to like animal metaphors, which is 
pay caps, you know, free range chickens can teach us about pay caps, right? So if you think about a chicken in a cage, right? And that cage is kind of close and around them, that that's the pay cap, right? They can see that cap. And, and, and they're thinking about that and it's kind of bothering them that it's there, right? So you're psychologically affecting the rep. In fact, when you ask a rep about a, a cap in the plan, a lot of times they'll say, oh yeah, there's a cap on the plan and we hate it. And uh, Well, have you ever hit the cap? Well, no, I've never hit the cap. It, do you know anybody that's hit the cap? Well, there was a guy three years ago that hit the cap, right? So it's on their minds though, right? So you've got this little cage, right? But then the free range chicken, well, the free range chicken doesn't have that cap. It doesn't have the cage right there. It doesn't have the bars, but the free range chicken is, is aspirational. It feels like it can do anything. Although we all know there's a fence out there somewhere, right? Because <laughs> It can't run out to the road, right? So, the, you know, to say that you you don't need a cap, you can do other things. And actually, when we look at the survey results that you mentioned, companies are decreasing the use of caps, but they're doing other things, right? So they're putting in a little bit more on, a, on regressive rates to say the plan's going to slow down at a certain point. Okay, well, that's a little bit different, right? So people can still get paid more, or we're going to be doing something in terms of bluebird policies or mega deal policies so that if something came in and you really didn't have heavy influence over it, you know, that might be taken outside the plan. Or if it was a mega deal that would blow the plan out, that might go to a separate commission, right? So there are other ways to do it other than putting a cap on the plan. Because I think I think the psychological effect of that cap is is greater than the benefit you get by having it. Yeah. No, and again, fantastic survey. There was 30 or 30 things like that that I, I read out but that was one that you know, jumped off the page at me for sure. All right, last two questions, Mark. First one, who in the world of sales compensation would you most like to take to lunch? You know, I've probably had lunch with so many people in the world of sales compensation already, but I think who I would like to take a, to lunch in the world of sales compensation is probably not in the world of sales compensation. They're probably in the world of business more broadly and that whole idea of, you know, connecting the strategy to compensation. And it would be somebody who has been kind of a serial business builder, right? Somebody like uh, Richard Branson or Elon Musk that have been able to build multiple companies because they've been able to do something, which is they've been able to create the business model. They've been able to work it through those revenue roadmap components of, of the, the, the market and, and the coverage model. And they've had to motivate people, whether they've been involved directly in the sales compensation plan themselves or not. A lot of times they have because they worked in sales you know, initially. But you know, my questions for them would be around how did you do that? How did you make all those things work? How did you make those connection points work? Because for me, sales compensation, the solution is not a better sales compensation plan. The solution is how do we connect to the to the overall business and how do we motivate people to get there, right? And that's a bigger question than just sales compensation. All right. Last question. If you can tell from what's behind me here, I like to read and I'm always looking for recommendations on on, on what's next. What's one book you could recommend to the audience? broad business revenue sales management or, or, or down to you know sales effectiveness, sales comp um, that people should go read to get some new ideas? You know, I think it's really important to read beyond your area of expertise. And you know, I talk about on the podcast, the value of becoming a student of history or being a student of history that, you know, if you learn about broader topics, broader history, whatever it might be, it gives you so many more what I call hooks 
of knowledge to hang other knowledge on and that that can expand your knowledge right so if you read something in another topic area it's going to help you to think about sales compensation you know uh, better in the area of business one book and there's so many but one book i i thought of was this book called performing under pressure and i read it a few years ago uh henry uh weisinger is the the author of that book there's actually a couple of authors and what was so good about that book was it took so many of the things that we deal with in business in terms of those pressure moments, that big presentation, that deal I have to win, and it deals with it psychologically, like how should you think about that? And the idea that there are no must-win moments, right? There's really buildups of things and, and you get multiple swings, right? And, and the idea that, you know, how do you get yourself into a mental state that when you walk in and you you go to present to the board, you get to present the new sales comp plan or whatever it might be to the board. How do you get yourself in a state where you're actually being yourself and you're enjoying that and you're and you're being your best self in front of them versus feeling like you're under this massive amount of pressure? So it's a great that's a great book. Probably the other one I would um, recommend would be Atomic Habits, uh, and that's by James Clear. And Atomic Habits is just about the day-to-day habits that you build. That that's a very recent book, but both you know kind of good self-help books. And then of course, uh, for anybody that hasn't read the new book I put out called Quotas with an exclamation point, that's a great one about. And I'll say so myself, a great one about how do you connect your compensation program and, and your sales program to the goals of the business and how do you balance out market opportunity and sales capacity? Of course, you know, very much closer into the topic that we're talking about. But those other two, I think are, are really good, you know, kind of good mind books and thinking books that can, you know, help you change your day-to-day life. Nice. Yeah. Thank you so much. The first two I, I'm not familiar with, I'll definitely have to check out for sure. Your book I'm, I'm more familiar with. We're at the end of our time together. I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on the show. I know you are, are pulled in a million directions between uh, clients and the running of an organization and the creative endeavors that you have. And so from uh, you know a very sincere place, thank you so much for your time today. And I will let you get back to it. Awesome, Justin. Thank you. Always enjoy talking to you. Thanks for the opportunity. The Sales Compensation Show was brought to you by Forma AI, the world's most advanced sales compensation solution. To learn more about how Forma AI makes sales comp more valuable to your business, visit forma.ai. Find us by searching for sales compensation in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or anywhere else podcasts are found. And make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. On behalf of the team here at Forma AI, thank you for listening and stay smart out there.